welcome to this week's episode of Square Mile of Murder, recorded remotely. Yay! So, Yay. fingers crossed. <laughs> yes. Hopefully, this all works, and and if we didn't say that, you wouldn't even be able to tell that it was recorded in uh, in separate countries, technically speaking. Technically, yeah. I'm back yeah. in England. Yes. And... Uh, this week we're swapping murder for fraud with a case that is very close to my heart owing to the fact that it, was, it is both utterly batshit bonkers and happened just down the road from my hometown in northeast England, where I am right now. And yeah, I'm not taking anything seriously at all. You've been warned. Oh no. <laughs> um, yeah, this is uh, quite a case. So today we're... <laughs> <laughs> talking about the mysterious disappearance and even more mysterious reappearance of uh, John Darwin, who went missing while canoeing in the North Sea near Seton Carew, North Seaside, in March 2002. And then, you know, five years later, just meandered into a police station in London claiming to have no idea who the fuck he was. <laughs> I'm like so excited about this week's case because it was so big around here when it happened. I mean, it was huge across the whole of the UK, but just around here, it was just so insane. Um, it's your local local nutball story. It is. Um, I don't know what it was like outside of the UK, though. Was there any coverage in the US? Uh, I don't remember hearing about it at all so i don't know but i i was also 11 so well and then he came back in 2000 yeah his disappearance wasn't quite as big a thing it was oh i don't remember that it was the it was the whole coming back that was yeah no i i i wish i'd heard of it (laughs) so i grew up in a small village just outside of whitby if you haven't heard of it congratulations it's one of the oldest Victorian seaside towns in England, and I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it, so, you know. Um, so it's Fair about enough. 30, 35 miles south of Seton Carew, so pretty close. Yeah, so I'm, I'm guessing this episode is just going to be stories, filled with stories from, uh, from your, your homeland. Uh, tales from a mothership, yes. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> John Darwin was born on August 14th, 1950 in Hartlepool, um, a harbor town in northeast England, just north of Teesside, which is an industrial area known for its steelworks and power plants. Uh, amongst other things. It, interestingly, uh, it was reportedly the inspiration for Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Um, that is interesting. Which, driving around that area at night, you can actually see it kind of yeah and yeah Hartlepool is an interesting place because uh, it's a shithole and I have yet to meet someone who's from Hartlepool or who's lived in Hartlepool who says it isn't a shithole and if you're listening and you think Hartlepool isn't a shithole please tell us on social media and prepare a 10 point presentation to explain why because otherwise I won't believe oh, you on. But it is. You'd actually like it because it is also home to the National Museum of the Royal Navy. Ooh. And 
Um, so there's one museum is in Hartlepool and the other is in Portsmouth down on the south coast. And there's a Hartlepool Maritime Experience. Um, and the centerpiece of this is the Trincomalia, which is where every primary school in like a 40 mile radius goes on a day trip, which I kind of barely remember because it was like 20 years ago. <laughs> um, but it's also known for like hosting tall ship races and things like that. So it's a weird mix of things. Mm-hmm. It sounds like fun to me. Mm. Uh Right, but back to back to John Darwin. Oh yeah, yeah. Back to sorry, sorry. <clears throat> but it's it's sorry, not sorry, right? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, John Darwin. Uh, you should tell us a bit about him. Well, I will. Um, John Darwin had a fairly normal childhood, by all accounts, and he studied biology and chemistry at college, and went on to become a secondary school science teacher. In 1973, he married Anne Stevenson. Uh, the couple stayed in the Hartlepool area and went on to have two sons, Mark, born in 1975, and Anthony, born in 1978. Anne worked as a doctor's receptionist, and after 18 years as a teacher, John went into the prison service and was a prison officer at HMP Home House in the nearby town of Stockton-on-Tees. The couple had quite a comfortable life, um, and they moved to the village of Seton Crew and began buying rental properties. <laughs> so it's a well-known fact that people move from Hartlepool to Seton Crew, so they can say, oh, I don't live in Hartlepool, I live in Seton Crew, and pretend they're not monkey hangers. Oh boy. Oh boy. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna do this. Yeah. Monkey hangers. What, what the fuck? <laughs> So I've been dying to tell this story. So people from Hartlepool are known as monkey hangers and it is a huge source of amusement to everyone else in the Northeast. So back in the olden days, during the Napoleonic Wars, a French ship was wrecked just off the coast of Hartlepool and the sole survivor was a little monkey. A literal little monkey. monkey. He lost all his friends. Yeah, and instead of taking the monkey in and, I don't know, letting it live in the lighthouse as, like, the lighthouse keeper's pet or something, (laughs) or just setting it free, see how it fared out in the northeast, you know. Um, The residents of Hartlepool, in their infinite wisdom, uh, decided that this cute monkey was a Frenchman. Obviously. All monkeys are Frenchmen. Yeah. Um... So they explained this away because in the 1800s, people from Northern England wouldn't necessarily have met a Frenchman or have seen what a monkey looks like. So they say that anybody could have confused the two. Anybody. Bullshit. (laughs) Now, obviously, the monkey didn't speak English. But what if he did? (laughs) So... This, like, further added to the evidence that he was French because he didn't speak English. Uh, So they decided he was a French spy and conducted a trial right there on the beach. And being a monkey, obviously, he couldn't answer the questions. So he was found guilty of being French and was hanged. And the town has been haunted by their stupidity ever since. (laughs) 
But wait, is being French a crime or is is the crime the being a French spy? Uh, kind of both because it okay. wasn't like during the Napoleonic Wars, so you weren't allowed to be French and be in England. Okay, fair enough. And so in parts of the Northeast, when you go and get like your 99 ice cream, you know, your whippy ice cream with your flake, um, if you want like strawberry or raspberry sauce on it, you ask for monkey's blood. And some people seem to think this is a nod to Hartlepool being stupid and killing a monkey on the beach, believing him to be a Frenchman. <laughs> um, I did actually have to do like an informal poll across the family uh, to find out because my auntie's ex-husband is actually from Hartlepool and he was the first person my parents ever heard refer to it as monkey's blood. So <laughs> but it doesn't matter because Seton Crew is both a village in its own right and technically part of Hartlepool. So they're all monkey hangers. See, they can't escape even when they try. Nope. Um, well, so now that you've uh, uh, turned all of our Hartlepool listeners against us, uh, <clears throat> by the year 2001, the Darwins had a portfolio of 12 flats and bedsits, and uh, then they bought two houses in Seton Crew, uh, which were next door to each other. The couple lived in one of the houses, and the one next door was converted into a number of flats and bedsits. But with these 14 separate properties came 14 separate mortgages, and the couple fell into tens of thousands of pounds of debt. Uh, and it's important to note that this is a Northeast England 20 years ago. Property was much cheaper then than it is yeah. now. Uh, even with the property market having not recovered from the recession, which is like, is that 12 years ago now? 2008. Yeah. Oh wow, we're getting old. And uh, B, if you own rental properties and you can't make enough to cover the mortgages, you're doing something wrong because your rent should cover the mortgage, agency fees, other fees, and make your profit at the end of it. And, you know, right. John John Darwin definitely wasn't the type to, you know, be keeping his rents low out of respect for his tenants. Yeah, they bought these houses in very quick succession, which was a thing back then uh, before the, the whole like housing buy to let bubble burst. So it was actually fairly easy to get 14 mortgages within a few years. Which is just like amazing considering <laughs> today's circumstances. I know. And... You know, Darwin, he wasn't really the kind of guy who'd just go to work and, and you know, earn wages and live within his means. Uh, I think it's fair to say he had some delusions of grandeur, uh, and he was always sort of known to be chasing the next get-rich-quick scheme. I mean, he should have just started a podcast, shouldn't he? <laughs> what are you saying? What are you saying? <laughs> We're trying to get rich quick? Not just trying working. to pay the bills, really. That. <laughs> we have one whole patron now. I know. It's exciting. It's, it's very your mother, exciting. but it's still exciting. It, it might possibly be my mother, yes. Which is, you know, shocking and delightful. And now I know she truly loves me. <laughs> <laughs> my, my sister posted something on Instagram the other day, and it was... Um, just something about like just because you're stuck inside don't be tempted to start a podcast 
white oh. boys are particularly susceptible. I was like, rude. <laughs> we started well before all this nonsense happened. Yeah, we, we were planning this back in like November. That is before this all even happened in China. So yeah, so we're, we're in the clear. We're, yeah. we're an acceptable quarantine listening activity. <laughs> but he does strike me as the type of man who loves the sound of his own voice. And he has yeah. actually been diagnosed by many an armchair psychologist and real psychologist who've studied the case as having narcissistic personality disorder. I could see that. Yeah. 100%. So instead of acting like a normal person who might try to figure out, you know, a way to pay off his debts or maybe selling off some of the properties that he owned or even declaring bankruptcy and starting again, Darwin had a much better idea to get out of his predicament. He just decided he was going to fake his own death. Like, obviously. It's not the logical conclusion I would come to, to, to get out of massive amounts of debt. I feel like it's not the logical conclusion most people would come to. But evidently, John Darwin was not most people. Clearly, clearly fucking not. <laughs> As we're looked, about to find out. Yeah. I actually looked on Google Maps and the house they lived in um, it's called The Cliff in Seton Carew. It does look nice. fancy sounding. Um, and they literally lived across the road from the sea, but it's the North Sea and it's fucking freezing. <laughs> even, even on like a hot summer's day, you could get frostbite. I wouldn't want to fake my death just to live there. If I wanted to live there, I'd sell off the house next door. Yeah. That's just way, way too smart and simple. Mm. Instead, (laughs) (laughs) instead of, you know, doing the logical thing, um, (laughs) the couple devised a devious scheme to fake John's death and get out of their, you know, money issues and even have some money left over. And this scheme would center around a red canoe called Orca. (laughs) Oh boy. So Darwin was known to be a canoeing enthusiast and fire international listeners. And for you, because I know you're struggling with this. (laughs) Over here, we use canoe to refer to like an actual canoe and a kayak. And like it's, lots of people do use kayak, but in British English, canoe is like a catch-all term for both kinds of tiny boats. It's silly. They're different things. One has a closed top and you sit inside of it on like the ground of the, the, the hull of the boat. And the other one you sit raised up on a little wicker or plastic seat and you'd use different kind of paddles. I disagree with this characterization. I don't care. He is okay. known as the canoe man, so we're going to have to call it canoeing. The kayak man just does not have the same ring to it. I mean, no, I suppose it doesn't. But it is not <laughs> accurate. Darwin loved canoeing. Uh, so much so that he even made his own red canoe, which in this instance was a kayak. And like we said, named it Orca. 
as we all name our small tiny boats after a killer whale. <laughs> right? <laughs> so there seems to be a lot made about this, about how he has his own canoe and made it himself. And loads of people yeah. are really shocked. But I don't think it's that weird. Because, like, plenty of enthusiasts, like, build their own boats or bikes or cars. Like, my uncle has a workshop where he and his friends are, like, building their own cars, like, rally car replicas. So, although I personally not into canoeing, I don't find it weird that someone who was would, like, make their own or have their own. So, yeah. Thoughts? Well, I built a kayak when I was a teenager because I'm cool. I I love your stories of your your teenage years. You're so wholesome and <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, not drinking or going out, just sitting at home with your Saint Bernard. Building a kayak. Did you take the dogs I on mean, the kayak? No, here's the thing about the kayak, right? It's Did still it not sing? finished. <laughs> we started it as this like week long build a boat summer program that my school was offering as part of their like summer camp kind of thing. And so, yeah, like uh, it was, I think us and maybe like two other families um, were there to, the idea was you'd build a, a, a boat using one of these kits and by the end of the week you'd have a boat finished boat more or less um (laughs) how old were you when this started 12 and how old are you now too old (laughs) 29 (laughs) so 17 Um, years it's taking you 17 years and it's still not finished well it's like mostly finished the thing was, so it was me and my mother and father were working on it initially mm. for that week. But then my father fucked off to go on a work trip to like Alaska or something for like five out of the seven days we were working on it. So it was just me and my tiny mother like <laughs> <laughs> epoxying this boat and you know, a crimping huge like uh, copper wires together to, to align all the pieces of the hull and all this stuff. And like, so we didn't we didn't work as fast. <laughs> OK, OK. But I mean, I think the like it's built and it's. It looks finished more or less. It's sitting in the garage up in Vermont um, and I, I think it would do fine on like a lake situation. Uh, the I think it just, it doesn't have a seat or we don't own a paddle, so. So you'd literally be up the creek without a paddle? Yeah, a little bit. Mm, not really filling me with confidence here. Enough of stories about how how, you know, hip and and in touch I was as a as a teen <laughs> um so yeah back to our dear friend John uh it was apparently well known 
among his friends and neighbors and sort of throughout Seton Crew that he was a canoeing enthusiast. So nobody really batted an eye when, you know, this experienced canoeist, canoeer, canoeist? I don't know. I've always said canoeist. Canoeist. But then it's kayaker, isn't it? So Yeah. I can't say I've said either word regularly. So he took his hand-built canoe, or kayak, out on the water one day. And and yeah, nobody nobody was nobody worried cared. or anything. Yeah, nobody yeah. gave a shit. Just just John uh, off out in his hand handmade canoe again. Yep. Uh but March twenty first, two thousand two was not just a normal canoe day for John Darwin. Um because he was reported missing after not reporting for work at uh, the Holmhouse prison at 9.30 p.m. that night. Uh, And Anne informed the authorities that Darwin had gone out for his afternoon canoe earlier in the day, just didn't come back. I love it. It's like, oh, he just went for an afternoon canoe, you know, like most of us go for an afternoon walk. Right? I mean, I, I guess, I guess if I lived on the water... And I really loved, you know, small craft boating. <laughs> then I'd I'd use it often, but like I don't know, it's it's um it's a choice. Uh, and yeah, so after he was reported missing, there was a massive search and rescue effort that was launched by the RNLI, the Royal National Lifeboat Institution. Yeah, and this search cost over £100,000. And remember, this is nearly 20 years ago. That's I didn't look up the inflation rate, but I know it's a hell of a lot more than it would be. A bunch. It's a bunch. Yeah. And uh, lifeboats are almost exclusively funded by donations in one form or, or another. They're like the air ambulances. They're not government funded. They're incredibly expensive to run and maintain. And the crew are unpaid volunteers. So support that RNLI and your local air ambulances, if you can. They keep us safe. So during this search, the RNLI, I'm having trouble with that acronym, the RINLI. No, just... nobody has ever <laughs> called it that before. Stop. This is, this is like the channel all over again. People call it that. No, they don't. I stand by this. Dear listeners... Call in and tell us, have you ever heard the channel tunnel called the channel? Because if you have, you are my best friend. <laughs> Thought I was your best friend. Well, you don't call it the channel, so we can't be friends anymore. <laughs> you have very strong feelings about the channel tunnel. I just love the word. It saves time and it's fun to say. They RNLI search covered more than 60 square miles uh, along the coast of Northeast England and went as far out as 10 miles out to sea. And this is like late at night, in the dark, in the cold. It's March, so it's definitely cold. Um, And the North Sea has a temperature range in March of 2 to 5 degrees Celsius, usually hovering around like 4 degrees Celsius. 
which is about 35 to 41 degrees Fahrenheit with an average of 39 degrees Fahrenheit. But 10 miles is really quite far when you think about it. When you're sat on the beach, like the horizon isn't actually that far. The horizon is only a few miles out. So for them to have searched as far as 10 miles is a huge area to cover. And as previously mentioned, the North Sea is fucking freezing. The search involved crews from five lifeboats along a 20-ish mile stretch. Uh, According to BBC reports from the time, five RNLI lifeboats, two Coast Guard rescue teams, uh, a police fixed-wing aircraft with heat-seeking equipment, and teams of police officers were all involved in the search. Uh, In the early hours of the 22nd, literally only a few hours into the search because he was only reported missing at like half past nine when he didn't turn up for Mm. work a double-ended paddle of the same kind that darwin owned was found floating in the water at north gare which is a beachy area near seaton carew and this raised alarm bells for several reasons firstly as one of the rescuers put it if a canoeist loses his oar and cannot retrieve it, he is at the mercy of the sea and currents and has to sit out until he's rescued, which is part of the reason they went so far out, because if he had lost his paddle, the tide's going out, he could yeah. easily have just been taken with it. Yeah. Um, and the second is that this beachy area is at the Tees mouth uh, on the north bank and less than a quarter mile upriver on the south bank are the Teesside docks and Teesside docks are a hugely busy area there's cargo ships going in and out all the time Uh, it's known as the tea shipping lane Mm -hmm. so if a paddle was found there it would mean that down had paddled from the north sea down into tea's mouth and into the shipping lane so let's put it simply a canoe a kayak whatever you want it any kind of small craft going up against a big ass cargo ship does not take a genius to figure out who will win that one which like in any circumstance you don't want to like capsize in a canoe or a kayak and i know from from personal experience because at four years old uh, my parents and i capsized in our canoe and I nearly died. So is this an actual canoe or a kayak? This one was an actual canoe. This is why I don't fuck around with actual canoes anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I only will use a kayak now. (laughs) We, um, it had been like raining a bunch because we, like we had this canoe and we would take it out on the lakes near us in Vermont, which are very calm. There's no sort of like, really water movement hardly at all most of the time and so my parents decided that we needed to go out this weekend this one weekend in the canoe and it had been raining a bunch and so we ended up at otter creek oh that sounds cool doesn't it but it's not cool it's the devil's creek oh we get there and the water is fast and i'm like hey guys i don't think this is such a great idea 
<laughs> maybe we shouldn't do this right now. And my parents were like, shut up and get in the canoe. So <laughs> I did. And we were immediately, the second we shoved off from shore, immediately dramatically pulled down the river at a, a great rate of speed. Yeah. Uh, wherein we got to a place where a tree had fallen across the river, the canoe hit the tree, and we all went in the water. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. I can see how that happens. Yeah. And I got stuck in the... There was like a Y uh, branch in the tree that was down over the creek. I got stuck in the Y of the branch underneath the canoe which is now upside down remind me never to get on a boat with you yeah right uh (laughs) and that so i'm just sitting there in the tree uh, stuck underneath the canoe uh my mother has been swept away by the river (laughs) basically (laughs) and my father who's like a very strong swimmer was trying to find us um, but was having trouble in the current, and finally he found me under the canoe and extricated me from the tree that was holding me hostage, uh, and deposited me on a sort of sandy, sort of like dirt bar thing on the side of the creek, and and then went off to find my mother, <laughs> who uh, eventually. Where was your mother? She was downstream. Uh, honestly. I don't exactly remember because I was being a little dick. Uh, my hat that I was wearing had gotten taken away with the water. And I was like, Dad, get my hat. <laughs> yeah, never mind about my mother. Just, just nah. save the hat. Get the hat. Um, but he did manage to catch up to her and pull her back up to shore. <laughs> but uh, I, for for the rest of my natural life, have... The, the great pleasure of being able to say, I told you so, because I told them, let's not do this. <laughs> and then we all nearly fucking die. <laughs> yeah, I don't fuck around with canoes after that. Only kayaks, because they're more stable. And I stay far, far away from Otter Creek. <laughs> we also had to leave the canoe in the river and come get it like five days later after the water died down. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. So um so back to the other canoeing idiot. Uh although the authorities did continue searching and new teams took over at daybreak, they found no sign of Darwin. And later that day part of his red canoe was found washed up near the paddle. However, this stretch of the North Sea is known for being uh pretty rough. Hence why it's known for surfing. Like every beach up and down this stretch of coast has surfers on it. On March 21st, 2002, it was unusually calm. So investigators were sort of confused as to how, you know, Darwin, the experienced canoeist, would have gotten into trouble in such calm waters. Um, after four days, the search was scaled back with 
many people come to the conclusion that he had just been, ugh, he had just been sucked into the propeller of one of the big ships in the shipping lane. Yeah, I mean, that is in one of the documentaries they literally say they thought he had been sucked into the propellers. So It's just so unpleasant to picture. Uh, over the next few weeks, uh, other pieces of Orca were washed up and identified by Anne and other family members. I just, other pieces of Orca just sounds wrong. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god obviously the body of john darwin was never found i mean because he was still alive Uh, but nobody knew that yet and following an inquest in 2003 he was declared dead but what's interesting at least to me is that because he died at sea in inverted commas his death was treated the same as that of a sailor or anyone else lost at sea and is recorded in the marine register and there's a link in the episode description to the death certificate that shows how they record death at sea maybe it's just me being a bit geeky because my auntie's really into genealogy so i spent a lot of time talking about it with my auntie but i found it interesting no that's really cool the death certificate was issued on the authority of Hartlepool coroner Malcolm Donnelly, who said he was as surprised as everyone else when Darwin turned up alive. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, I think everyone was surprised at this. Right? Like, <laughs> generally, the dead don't just come walking back in. Uh, he insisted that there had been no suspicion that his death had been faked. From the information available at the time, there wasn't really any reason to suspect anything. Yes, it was an unusually calm sea that day, and he was, you know, experienced, but no matter how experienced you are, anybody can get into trouble in the water. Um, I mean, it is, they say it's complacency that kills the sailor. Mm-hmm. You know, people are experienced and they think they know it all, and that's how you get into trouble on the water by not being as vigilant as you should be so yeah it's not unknown or unheard of for experienced seamen and women to (laughs) get into trouble yeah what are you laughing at no nothing definitely not uh, a a joke that like a 13 year old boy would make now Anne did put pressure on the corner to declare darwin dead um, obviously, you know, because she wanted to claim the insurance money, but this could also be written off as a grieving widow wanting to sort of put an end to this whole ordeal. Um, and insurance companies can take seven years to pay out without a death, death certificate. So, you know, they really wanted that, you know, little piece of paper so they could get that money <laughs> real fast. Yeah. And I think the seven years thing is because if you're missing without a trace for seven years you're legally declared dead uh so they have no obligation to pay out without a death certificate until you're legally dead so yeah that makes sense uh what's also worth mentioning is that one of their younger sons anthony was on holiday in canada proposing to his girlfriend when all this happened and his parents knew that this was going to happen so they knew he was proposing when they decided to 
pull off this whole scheme. Yeah, that's a really important point to make because Anne was completely on board with this whole scheme, but their sons knew nothing. They legitimately thought their father was dead for five years. Fucking stone-cold psychopath canoe fuckers. He was on holiday proposing to his girlfriend and that memory was always going to be tainted with his dad dying. And they still did it. And yes, it may have made it look more real, but fucking hell. If my parents did that to me and my sister, I'd kill them for real. (laughs) This this fucking trauma they're causing their sons because they're too proud to admit they fucked up and just like sell off some of their property or declare bankruptcy. It's just really shitty. It's just so shitty. So like, that's the thing with fraud cases, right? Because a lot of people sort of go, eh, whatever, think that they're victimless crimes um, because, like, it's just the insurance companies. Yeah. Um, But, you know, when you really think about it, like, there's potentially a lot of collateral damage in situations like this. It's, Mm. It's the kids who think their dad's dead and then who realize, hey, they can't trust their mother anymore it it's uh it's not necessarily as victimless as people may think yeah it's yeah it's the same with like bank fraud as well and things like that everyone's like oh well it's just the banks but it's not just it's never just the bank right and like i mean oh maybe it's the banks but it's also like that's people's money yeah that's the the other thing they're like fucking with other people's money yeah. So it turned out that after he'd paddled out into the water, Darwin had just gone back down the river uh, to the pier in North Gare, which is where the paddle and parts of the kayak were found. Mm-hmm. And that's where Anne picked him up after dark. So he basically just hid under this pier until it got dark. And she drove him to a train station nearby, which I would assume would be the Seat and Carew train station and a week later he called Anne to tell her he was camping on a beach in Cumbria Uh, and this is a county in northwest England and it borders Scotland it is fucking cold in March don't nobody want to be camping on a beach in Cumbria in March no 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 and three weeks later Anne drove up to this beach in Cumbria and brought him back to Hartlepool where he lived in one of the attic bedsits in the house adjoining the family home which they'd purposely kept empty for him to live in and he'd constructed a secret passageway between (laughs) the two properties of course it was a secret fucking passageway (laughs) because what villain doesn't have a secret fucking packageway packageway (laughs) packageway um we have a secret passageway in our house in vermont of course you do <laughs> with your canoe and your half-built kayak no do we still and you we got rid of the <laughs> we did get rid of the canoe because i didn't want it i was like it's it's cursed <laughs> get it away from me it took like 18 years to get rid of it but still it's not there anymore <laughs> um yeah 
I, I just love this part of the story so much. This is my favorite part. <laughs> Your favorite part of the whole story is that they had a secret passageway. It's just so like, I mean, it's it's all bonkers, but like <laughs> this is just so extra. <laughs> it is. I just like it's just all kinds of crazy. So once the death certificate was issued in 2003, he moved back to back into the family home, um, which is so bold. Let me just say. Yeah, very bold. Um, also, once he was declared dead, his wife could claim his life insurance, which amounted to 250,000 pounds plus 130,000 pounds, which paid off the mortgages. So their plan had worked. They paid off their debts and had a quarter of a million pounds to spare. Not bad. I, because I'm quite sad, looked up the inflation rate and quarter of a million in 2002 would be 409,381 pounds and 15 pence today. <laughs> and the 130,000 for the mortgages would have been... Two hundred twelve thousand eight hundred seventy-eight pounds and twelve pence. Six hundred twenty-two thousand two hundred fifty-nine pounds and twenty-seven pence. But there was a slight snag in their sort of brilliantly thought-out plan to fake Darwin's death, pay off the debts with the insurance money, and live happily ever after with the excess. So Darwin was now legally dead, uh, and he couldn't really leave the house, you know, go to the grocery store, what? What? go about his daily life. I know. You're telling me that if you're dead, you can't go out anymore? You can't do anything? You're supposed to be in the ground somewhere? Yeah. You know? Or in the ocean? So, uh, he needed to find a way to allow him to enjoy all this money that they had recently acquired. Go figure, right? He really should have considered this at the at the get-go. It's important to to point out before we go any further that pseudocide, which is faking your own death and going missing, aren't actually illegal. Uh, from what we understand, you can't fake your own death or disappear and start a new life somewhere else as long as you're living under your real name um, and as long as nobody is claiming against your life insurance. So, Which, like, fair enough. Yeah, if you want to just pack up one day, disappear, nobody knows where you are. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, once the heat had died down and people weren't looking for him anymore, Darwin decided he would find a new identity. Of course he did. So he scoured the local graveyards and uh, went to the local archives to search public records and old newspaper reports which i like i assume he did this in some sort of disguise if he wasn't supposed to be seen i mean i think so hartlepool isn't a big place and i read somewhere that he grew a beard so maybe that's <laughs> all it took uh, but yes. also the chin the chin costume the beard yeah <laughs> but also like local archives aren't exactly a hotbed of activity are they you're I not mean, likely to run into someone unless you're in a history club yeah i suppose 
That is fair. So in the local archives, um, Darwin found the birth certificate for a baby called John Jones, who was born the same year as him in Sunderland, Sunderland, which is about 25 miles north of Hartlepool um, in 1950. So they're the same age and they're from the same area. In in a lucky break, because, boy, this fucker sure had some lucky breaks considering the kind of character he was. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the death certificate for John Jones was also in the archives because John Jones, the baby, died just 34 days after he was born. He stole the identity of a dead baby. Just when you think this guy is the worst, he out the worsts himself. Seriously. And birth and death certificates in this country become public record after a period of time. I'm not sure exactly how long. Uh, so you can just order birth and death certificates and marriage certificates, actually. Um, which is actually how we found out that we had a bigamist in the family. Uh, so my auntie uh, and a woman who she met through either ancestry.com or genes reunited something like that um both doing family trees and they both had this same person as being married to one of their relatives um but there was no divorce papers and so my auntie sent for the marriage certificate for the person on our side this other woman sent for the one on her side and then they compared notes and it turned out this woman just got bored of her husband and moved to a new town and married someone else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, that's amazing. Mm. Like, good, good job, lady. <laughs> but this is how you're supposed to use public records at a personal level of like tracing family trees and things like that. Not for thieving a dead baby's identity, you complete and utter wank puffin. Wank puffin. Yes. I've not heard that one before. <laughs> That's my new favorite insult. Actually, uh, an old friend from uni who lived in Sunderland when I was there, um, she just keeps sending me stupid insults so i'm trying to get them into episodes <laughs> there you go we have some fun ones coming up that can be a, a new drinking game for all of our <laughs> listeners in quarantine <laughs> drink every time there's a particularly colorful insult <laughs> yeah so caroline this is for you oh wank puffin <laughs> oh my god um right so <laughs> Good old wank puffin Darwin uh, claims that he he stole this identity because it was a victimless crime because, you know, this baby never had a life and he couldn't steal the identity of a living person because that might ruin their life, you know, because he was a good, good Samaritan. Yeah. Regular Mother Teresa. Yeah. If you be begin your justification with, well, I had to steal from a dead baby because <laughs> you're already in the wrong. Right. Like Go you're... home. Try again. 
you're already on your on the back foot there. Like you're not winning this this one. Also, <laughs> saying something is a victimless crime because the victim is dead is setting a very dangerous precedent. <laughs> Just saying. Fair point there. <laughs> oh God. Um. So you know, of course, it's not actually victim victimless. And as of 2017, the family of John Jones are still waiting for an apology from Darwin. Um, and there are seven surviving Jones siblings who had no idea that their dead brother's identity had been stolen. And uh, according to the credit industry fraud avoidance seam, seam? credit <laughs> credit industry fraud avoidance scheme... Uh, 746 people who had passed away had their identity stolen in 2015. Um, and it's mostly for taking out like loans and credit cards, but it does show that it's by no means a small scale crime. Yeah, for sure. Um, initially, Darwin used the birth certificate to open bank accounts and move around all the life insurance money. But by 2004, he was, you know, getting bored of just kicking around the house, you know, or looking through the, the graveyards and archives for dead babies whose identity he could steal. Uh, so he took it a step further and decided that he and Anne should move abroad. Darwin began visiting a local library, uh, befriending the librarian, and eventually asked them to countersign his passport. Uh, because librarians are on the list of people of good standing who can sign your passport photo. So this poor unwitting librarian signed for who he thought was John Jones, uh, who's actually, obviously, John Darwin. So he's got this librarian to sign this is a likeness to uh, John Jones, but he used the same address that he'd lived at as John Darwin, number three, the cliff. And the house was still in... Anne's name. So dumb. So, yeah. And nowadays, a lot of adults who've never had a passport have to attend an interview after applying for one. But I don't know if this was done back in 2004. Um, my auntie was telling me a few years ago that my cousin's husband had either never had a passport or it had elapsed um, between him being a child and an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and he applied for a new one and because they were going abroad somewhere and he had to attend an interview and he was asked stuff like when his parents got married which was before he was born and then like when they got divorced uh, which I think was when he was only a toddler and things like that which even genuine applicants are going to struggle to remember some of that stuff so yeah it, it's a strange system we have here yeah clearly um, but you know maybe if he had had to go get an interview in, in 2004 then uh, this could have all ended a lot sooner I mean it would have definitely saved at least three years of fuckery that's for sure <laughs> um, so you know once John got his ill-gotten passport um, the couple decided that they would move to Cyprus and flew out to look at properties there yeah I love this I mean like you know what we already have 14 properties and that got us into such a horrible snafu where I had to fake my own death in a canoeing accident and steal a dead baby's identity. You know what will make it all okay? 
let's buy more property. What could go wrong? There's no issue there. Also, like, let's buy property in a foreign country just yeah. to make things even easier. Mm. Um, I mean, Cyprus is a popular choice because of the extradition or lack of extradition treaty. Because uh, um, yeah. the North is still under Turkish control, <laughs> as it has been for however many decades. Uh, so... If you live in Northern Cyprus, you can't be extradited to the UK, I believe. Well, that is a good deal, I suppose, if you're if you're mm. one John Darwin. Um, but John and Anne soon discovered, you know, this tiny, like, it's not a big deal, but there's like a little problem. They couldn't speak Greek. <laughs> and, you know, doing the thing of like shouting loudly and slowly at foreigners didn't seem to work well enough for them. So they quickly returned to Hartlepool. Just the fucking arrogance of this guy. I had to steal a dead baby's identity. I had to fake my own death. I would have had to learn Greek. I'm not just like standard Greek. Cypriot Greek. <laughs> well, actually, actually, because it's under Turkish control, it could even have been Turkish yeah. or Turkish Greek. I don't know. And a new alphabet, obviously, because Greeks don't have the same alphabet as us. Yeah. He's such a fucking douche canoe. <laughs> How did it take uh, me this long to get douche canoe into this episode? I'm guessing that's <laughs> I'm guessing that's on your insult list too. Obviously. Oh my god. <laughs> fucking douche canoe. Uh excuse me, it's a douche kayak. Fuck you. <laughs> Um, so, you know, of course, since it was beneath them to spend all of his fucking free time when he's not going outside because he's dead, he can't use any of that to learn a new language, God forbid. Um, Anne and, and John set their sights on, on somewhere they could speak the language. Good old US of A. Obviously. Now, John befriended a woman while he was gaming online named Kelly Steele, who lived in Kansas, which at the time had very low house prices. So there doesn't seem to really be a a clear cut story uh, for like what happened with this gal in Kansas and good old John. Um, But from what we can find, there was some sort of verbal agreement made that the two would buy and develop a ranch together, and he would be a silent partner. And, you know, it would be a a full-on Wild West working ranch that Kelly would live in and work on, and John would get a share of the profits. Um, And for someone who is clearly as entitled as John Darwin is, I'm not surprised he would be a silent partner, because... He gets the money, but he doesn't have to do any of the work. (laughs) However, Darwin flew out to Kansas and it all went wrong. What a surprise. Uh, I know. Um, According to Kelly Steele, Darwin decided he wanted to live there, not just be a silent partner. uh, And she refused. And I love this because firstly, where the fuck is Anne? 
She's okay (laughs) with her husband just going to the States to buy a ranch with the stranger who he met playing a game online. Like, he's not creeping around the interwebs looking for a lady side piece. He's creeping around looking for some dodgy property side piece. Seriously, though, like, that's what baffles me about this whole part of the story is, like, because when I first read about the case and, like, I saw, oh, and then he met this woman online named Kelly, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, Anne's in trouble. Anne's on the way out. But no, exactly. He just wanted her fucking land or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> this guy has a problem. So Darwin returned to the UK, having invested loads of money in property he wasn't going to get to live in. So he kind of starts to panic and begins threatening Kelly, who refused to return the money he'd invested. And at one point, he even threatened to kill her horse, Godfather style. Nice. Nothing says villain like, I'm going to put a horse's head in your bed. I know. It's just... I'm honestly surprised that he doesn't just get Anne to take out some life insurance on him as John Jones and paddle out into the shipping (laughs) lanes again. Because it worked so well for him the first time that this could just sort out all their problems once again. (laughs) What could go wrong? (laughs) Uh, The couple briefly decided that they would buy a boat of course there's a boat (laughs) um at least this one's a proper boat and not a kayak canoe handmade (laughs) situation true uh so this is in 2005 and darwin flew to gibraltar to look at a catamaran uh but he got into an argument with the couple selling it when he demanded they half the price and renovate it And, you know, unsurprisingly, the owners weren't keen on this idea, so he flew back to the UK, and he and Anne came up with yet another plan. And in this new plan, they decided they would move to Panama, as one does. Obviously. And on July 14th, 2006, they flew to Panama. Um, Being so far away from home, this is when they start making mistakes. (laughs) One of which was they posed for photographs for the estate agents. Uh, I just can't. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> why are they so dumb? And they began looking at ranches in remote areas that they could turn into a hotel. And get this! Offer canoe tours. What the actual fuck? I'm going to have to let Max in because he's scratching at the door. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to have a cat guest star in a minute. Oh. Yeah, he's around somewhere. He's... He keeps trying to get into bed, which is hilarious. (laughs) Oh, hey! (laughs) Oh, I saw tail. Hi, buddy. Max, come on. Come here. Fuck you, then. (gasps) so rude he's so rude so you know how like serial killers like to taunt police like it's it's part of the, the thrill <laughs> of it all right like i feel yeah. like that's what's going on here um definitely <laughs> because like how how else it's just like hey guys nobody is this stupid <laughs> no they can't like oh god i hope not anyway jesus christ um Although this is the town that hung monkeys, thinking they were French, so you know. True, true, true. It's a uh, all that generational stupidity is trickled down and 
and distilled itself into this one very stupid man. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what's happened. <laughs> um, Anne is moving to Panama, which has some interesting laws when it comes to moving money around with this new, you know, new guy, John Jones, no relation to her dead husband. Uh, and <laughs> they're just going to open a, a little hotel and offer canoe tours. Like, I I would think that would warrant a second look. It's like they're trying yeah. to get caught, to gain attention. Yeah. I just, what, what the fuck do her sons think she's up to at this point? Right. She's been enlisting their help, setting up offshore bank accounts, and then suddenly she decides she's moving to Panama. I don't even know if they think she's... I don't even know if they know she has a new gentleman friend. Obviously, they've not met him, because then they'd know (laughs) it was their dad. (laughs) But, you know, do, do they think she's just fucking off to Panama on her own, where she knows nobody? Do they know she's going with her friend quote unquote i swear (laughs) like the fuck (laughs) and also like can you just imagine though if they did try to pass john off as someone else (laughs) (laughs) what to their sons just be like yeah this is he's your new daddy he's nothing like your real daddy he's 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 got a beard and everything he wears a a baseball cap at all times he's he's not the same person don't (laughs) worry about it okay (laughs) and like yeah she's still working during all this which is baffling like how do how do you hold down a job and also take trips to Panama and 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 Cyprus and and stuff like I don't get that. Yeah, that's the other thing. Just what do what do her work colleagues think she's up to? Right. Um. So in March two thousand seven, the couple registered a company called Jaguar Properties. Uh. So they they register this company to buy. A two-bedroom apartment in Panama City for fifty thousand pounds, um, and Darwin remained in Panama while Anne flew home to continue her normal life while she began to sell off their portfolio of rental properties. You know, if they'd just done that when they first started having money problems, they wouldn't have gotten into this whole clusterfuck of bullshit in the first place. Seriously, though, like it's not that hard of a solution to work out really like I, yeah i i don't I, I don't understand um the family home was transferred into the name of the eldest son mark and once it was sold the profits were transferred into the account in panama however um there was uh, of course another snag <laughs> who'd have thought it right i mean really it's almost like this plan is doomed to fail. No, really? <laughs> um, because for a British citizen to up and move to Panama, one of the things you need is a letter stating that you are of good character from your local police station. And this is like this is a, a requirement for the visa, I think. To Yeah, it's, it's to prove you're basically of good standing and you have no criminal record. Yeah. 
Um, but would you look at that? His local police station think he's dead. Don't think they're going to recommend him. Because the Darwins had a plan. <laughs> and they took a nice little holiday to Costa Rica to figure it all out. Obviously. Um, the basic plan was John Jones needed to become John Darwin again. So he could get his Panama police letter. Why did they think this? I just... Okay. I Okay. Yeah, the, the fake guy can't become the dead guy and everyone's happy about like it just okay i don't know yes but you know the small details and logistics aren't really their strong point no, they're really not. <laughs> um so the only way for this to happen uh was for john to fake amnesia and walk into a police station with you know supposedly no idea who he was and no memory of the past five years and in theory their plan was the police would just take his word for it and he would be able to rekindle his relationship with his sons who would just be so overjoyed that their father wasn't actually dead that they wouldn't ask any fucking (laughs) questions and then he would be able to get his panama letter and fly off into the sunset and live in panama with Anne with all their new money from selling all their properties which they could have just sold in the first place but they're dumb so they didn't and there you go. That's the whole fucking plan. And breathe. <laughs> but uh, needless to say, things did not go according to plan. Go figure. <laughs> on, de- <laughs> on December 1st, 2007, Darwin flew back to the UK and walked into the West End Central Police Station in London. Claiming he had no idea who he was or where he'd been for the past five years. He did, however know that he was a missing person and that he had been in a canoeing accident. Of course. Yeah. Because <laughs> all people with amnesia know that they have amnesia and are a missing person. Yeah. See, like, my thing is... Yeah, it's the missing person thing. That's the real kicker. Like, Yeah, if, if he knew he'd been in a canoeing accident at some point, then sure. Yeah. Slightly more believable. But, yeah, how does he know he's a missing person? Yeah. If he doesn't even know who he is. That's very suspicious. Mm. And because of this, the police did not believe a word of it. (laughs) Firstly, because police may be stupid, but they're not that fucking stupid. But, also, unbeknown to the Darwins, the police had actually been suspicious um, of the couple for quite a while. So there had actually been quite a few sightings of him uh, since his supposed death. And eventually they kind of had to start looking into this because there was so many. Hartlepool, as we said before, it's a small place. And the couple were well known in the area, especially after his high profile canoe disappearance. Um, And as the years went on, the two of them got more and more careless And not only had John been spotted, but Anne's work colleagues had overheard her speaking to him on the phone while at work. Uh, Now, the police, especially in the Northeast, are very underfunded, so they couldn't go investigate every single sighting that, you know, they got wind of. But as all this sort of evidence began to build up, 
the police knew that like something fishy was going on. Um, and in September 2007, three months before Darwin returned to the UK with amnesia, um, the police opened an investigation. Now, we do give the police a lot of shit, mainly because usually they deserve it. But they do have limited resources, like we said, especially in the Northeast, are so underfunded. Um, and that's obviously restrictive. But insurance companies have all the money in the world especially if they think you've tried to defraud them (laughs) so all the police actually needed to do was just induce a bit of suspicion to the insurance companies and they will go and do all the investigating for them and they don't actually need to prove that you're alive they just have to induce like suspicion that you're alive somewhere Mm -hmm. so all this money moving around and and moving to panama was suspicious especially because Panama's banking system is super anonymous. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of money laundering goes on there. Right. So remember when we we said that they had posed for photos in Panama? Well, like the total dumbasses they are. Oh, yeah. Get ready for this. The estate agents had used these photos for their website on the Internet. You know, that one that it's also called the Worldwide web not just like the panama web uh (laughs) and go figure these photos had been picked up back home uh and on websites for foreigners planning on moving to panama uh and at some point during this whole ordeal someone literally put the words john ann and panama into google images and found the photos like it was fucking nothing And this all got rolled into the investigation. So, initially, Anne, Mark, and Anthony were overjoyed at finding out that John was still alive. But this didn't last long. And within a week, the media had printed photos uh, of the couple in Panama, proving that Anne knew all along. And John had been staying with one of their sons since resurfacing. Uh, but soon found himself kicked out when the brothers found out it had all been a scam. Uh, Mark and Anthony released a joint statement saying that they felt they had been victims of a scam and that they wished to have no further contact with their parents. And the thing I don't get about this is, all through this, Anne plays the victims because her sons hated her, as if she thought they'd be okay with everything. Like, it's fine, you told us our father was dead for five years, it was all for the money, no harm, let's be this happy clabby family again. And she seems to think that nobody's going to bat an eyelid at that. I. Um, it's delusional. <laughs> so both John and Anne were arrested in December 2007, and in 2008 they were both convicted on charges of fraud. So Anne has always maintained that she was bullied into going along with her husband's scheme. I call bullshit on this. Yeah, there's no way. Like, we don't know the state of their marriage, and we never will. He could and probably was a very controlling man. He does seem the type. Yeah. But he was out of the country multiple times when he was, you know, finding his property side piece in Kansas, (laughs) when he was trying to get a half price boat in Gibraltar you know Anne had so many opportunities 
she didn't have to go pick him up from that beach in Cumbria. She could have anonymously called in and said, there's this dude on a beach in Cumbria who looks like, <laughs> he looks like the guy who went missing yeah, right. in a canoe. You know, she could have gone to a public phone box in a disguise so she would never be noticed and just she, made that phone call. She could have grown she a beard. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I think more women should grow beards. It's it's so much less maintenance than having to make sure you don't have a tiny dark hair above your lip. I'm working on my quarantine mustache as we speak. <laughs> but yeah, I yeah, like you said, she was. I think he, it was his idea, but she was in tr- instrumental in making it work. Yeah, 100%. and then just happy to go along with it yeah. afterwards. Yeah, because hey, she's she's got a bunch of money now. Like, well, yeah, and uh, an exciting secret, not dead husband. Like, mm. life couldn't get any better, right? Um, exactly. <laughs> so, because Anne maintained her innocence, um, she was actually sentenced for longer than John because he pled guilty. Um, Anne was sentenced, <laughs> which is amazing. Like, I love that. Um. Anne was sentenced to six years and six months, whereas John was sentenced to six years and three months. So people get quite upset that they were only that they only got six years, but when you think about it, the crime was fraud. You're not gonna get fifteen or twenty yeah. for fraud. Plus all the money was recovered from selling off the assets. Um but there's so much emotion in this because the sons were literally scammed by their own parents and then used by Anne to move all the money around, help set up all the accounts in Panama um, and if they hadn't had to come back and get their letters to move to Panama they could have just stayed there, no problem he would never have reappeared that's what's amazing about this it's just like, it, yeah. if this one little, if they had picked somewhere else where they didn't need this you know a particular requirement like he could have just stayed gone but i also don't believe that he really like i feel like they would have cropped up somewhere else at some point considering i mean it is just a series of unfortunate events (laughs) yeah (laughs) that is literally what happened it was just one thing after another so they would have fucked it up somehow and resurfaced again but it could have been a lot longer yeah, if they hadn't had to get those letters, he would never have reappeared yeah. willingly yeah. like that. Uh, in 2011, after serving only half the sentences, the couple were released on license and Anne decided that she wanted a divorce. Uh, John did not. And he sent Anne a picture of herself with a copyright logo stamped over it to make it clear that she was his property. <sighs> Given his track record with property, I don't think that was his best move. That's just so gross, first of all. And like... Uh, yeah, but everything this matters is gross. That's very, <laughs> very true. Um, although eventually he gave in. The couple did end up getting divorced in 2012. Um, Anne moved to York and began working for the RSPCA, the Royal Society for the prevention of cruelty to animals and has rekindled her relationship with her sons. Although she accepts that they will never fully forgive her because 
they shouldn't. Because what the fuck? Because. Yeah. Because what the fuck? <laughs> because what the fuck? Following the divorce, John met a new woman from the Philippines, whose name I read in an article and then couldn't find again. <laughs> She's reportedly about half his age. Of course. And within two months of meeting online, he moved to Manila and the pair married. <laughs> and he is not in touch with his sons at all. Which is interesting because at one point he claimed the reason he came back um, was because he missed his sons. Yes, yeah. That's one of his big mm. justifications. <laughs> but uh, apparently the Philippines is the best place in the world to go to fake your own death. I have heard this uh, before. Listening... Yeah. So I heard this because I was listening to uh, the Red Handed podcast um, and they did an episode on the canoe man and apparently they talked about how you can buy death kits in manila so you get a death certificate statements from witnesses who saw your quote-unquote fatal accident and an autopsy report um so really he should have just gone there to start with yeah right that would have been so much easier and could have saved all this fucking drama like holy shit yeah so uh, what do we think about this one? <laughs> I, I, you know, I feel as though I'm speechless. Like, <laughs> I, it's baffling that they thought <laughs> this would work, that they thought yeah. it was a good idea. Like, hey. it's hilarious and entertaining. That's for fucking sure. Yeah, it's if if it was fiction, it would be unbelievable. Yeah, no, totally. I think that's the thing is you you couldn't you couldn't write it, you couldn't make it up. No, it's um, it's it's one for the history books. I feel like <laughs> it's just another sad mark in Hartlepool's history. <laughs> Oh, what are you famous for? Um, we hung a monkey because we thought he was a French spy. And then this guy faked his own death in a canoeing accident for five years. And and then just showed back up and thought nobody would be mad at him. Yeah. But we do have a, a naval museum and an old warship. So, you know, yeah. it balances out. It's fine. It's, to like, it's totally equal. <laughs> Don't worry about it. it. Totally clears everyone's <laughs> reputation. <laughs> Yeah, and that is the story of John Darwin, the Canoe Man. And what a story uh, it is. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, April bonus episode will be out for our $10 plus patrons on Friday. And it's a good one because we're going back to 1960s Glasgow to the most notorious set of unsolved murder cases in our city's history. Uh, we've been talking about it since episode two, two, three. Yeah. It is, of course, Bible John. Oh, yeah. This one's... This, that's, it's a big one. It's a big one. Yeah. It's, uh, it's bold of us to take it on. It's going to be good. It's going to yeah. be good. Um, it might get us evicted from our home city, but <laughs> we're going to see how it goes. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, <laughs> if you haven't already signed up for Patreon and you are so inclined to do that, um, you can 
find our info at www.patreon.com slash square mile of murder or you can go to our website square mile of murder.com and uh there's a link on the homepage for the patreon and also there's a uh, a whole page uh called support us that uh gives you the link for the patreon and a, a few other sort of little different ways that you can support the podcast if you would like to and we would very much appreciate it if you did but uh no fears Mm -hmm. we will continue to come to your ear holes for free as long as we possibly can yes yeah um and patrons uh the the tiers for the patreon start at just one dollar a month um that's 84p for those of us in the british isles where we actually are yeah so a, a very low, low, low price. The pr- I was gonna say. I mean, <laughs> the price of one song on iTunes, but who does that I, anymore? I had a better one. <laughs> as I say, it's less than a can of Iron Brew. There you go. In Glasgow City Centre, because it's eighty-five p from Sainsbury's near Central Station. <laughs> it's so, you know, it's less than your morning can of Iron Brew. It's less than your. 99p ice cream with monkey blood um you can also join our new ish uh facebook community group uh it's called square mile of murder the podcast um where you can tell us your plans about how you plan to fake your own death um uh how would you fake your own death i'm i'm interested Well, it would involve a canoe. Or should we just have a think about this and put it on the Facebook group <laughs> Maybe later? Maybe we should do that. I know. I feel like I have to formulate yeah. properly. Like, Yeah. I'm, I'm going to... Man- I think I'm just going to go to Manila and buy the death There kit. you go. I mean, it's all done for you. So like, <laughs> can't yeah. go wrong, really. Um, yeah, I'll have to think on that. We'll we'll put up our, our, our fake your own death plans and see what everyone else's plans are, too. Yeah. So uh, we... We'd love to see you there. Come follow us on Instagram. And um, thanks for listening. Bye.